So for the last few weeks, several weeks, we've been talking about divided waters. And divided waters, the, the implications are that carriers of the word of God, when they met certain bodies of water, they divided. Joshua, Elijah's mantle, the baptism of Jesus. And so we've been taking a lot of time to deal with this. And we said that basically what happens is that people, when people are carriers of the full word of God, we found that last week that the Bible said in Isaiah that the wicked are like, are like the seed, troubled waters. And so we found out that, that the wicked or the unrighteous that are here upon this earth, they refer to as the troubled waters or the sea. And we found ourselves that we get to places and situations where we are facing people. There's certain circumstances or situations it finds out that they begin to part out of our way. Some of you that the people you thought were your friends, that they were your friends and still you really started getting the word of God in you and you found out they parted. I know some of you know pieces of the word. That's not what I'm saying. Because I'm very confident that the waters in Jordan for Joshua would not have parted if it was just partial, the scriptures of God. You're, some people are geniuses of, of, of partial scriptures and I combat that. I'm against you. We're going to have to know the whole word. And, and so by doing so, we're not telling you that you got to learn it, memorize it, recite it. That's not what I'm saying. And Don brought us a great example about that this morning, about when he said that husbands, dealing with husbands and wives, he said that wives should obey their husbands. And that's all I heard. I think he said something else, but I don't know what he said about that. I was too busy amening him for that. But... Uh, divided waters. You're going to be, we found out through Scripture that Jesus that when he read Isaiah in the temple, that immediately all he read was just about two verses and they wanted to kill him. Hate. So we've been talking about what is the most offensive doctrine in the Bible and I'll answer it today. We've been telling you that the gospel is offensive within itself. The gospel doesn't need you to help it to be offensive. It is the good news to the righteous but it is the bad news to those that are in opposition of the scriptures. And I need you to understand that. I'm not really your problem. All I'm doing, well, I know some of you think, well, all I'm doing is validating what the scripture says. And because of your disobedience or rebellion in your own heart, you take offense to me. But Jesus said in Luke 10, he said, if they come against you, they come against me and they come against the one who sent me. So this is not my ideas. This is not my latest book. This is not my theology. This is not my doctrine. All I do is present to you the word of God. And, and whether you're in agreement with it or not, you know, that's kind of up to you. But I will tell you, Jesus said, if any man will fall on me, I will break him. But if I fall on them, I will grind him to powder. Wow. I would rather be broken, fallen on Christ than him grind me to powder. So divided waters has everything to do with carriers of the word of God that we find out whether it be people and circumstances, the more of the word of God that you have in you, the more people will hate you in the religious realm. And we went to a lot of work in the last few weeks on isms. 
Mormonism, Catholicism, Pentecostalism, and all these isms that they have bits and pieces of the word God and Jesus and good works and all these things. But did you know that Christianity is the only doctrine that we have in theology that no works are involved? None. If you don't know that, say amen. amen. If you do know it, say amen. amen. For you're saved by grace, not of works. And if it becomes works, then it's no more further grace. But we have a response. So we're going to talk about this morning about evangelism. Woohoo! Evangelicals. I told you last week about evangelicals, and we're going to get into it. The word evangelism is where we get a Greek word for euangelos. The word is you, means beautiful, beneficial. It means something that is needed. It's, it's an addition to. And the word angelos is where we get a word for logos. It means beautiful words. And beautiful words, it means not only beautiful words, but is the carriers of the beautiful words or beneficial words or words that are needed. So how is it, if you weren't here last week, how is it that we can just say things out of the Bible and people hate us? They do. You, some of you hate me. You do. And I, I don't, I mean, I say you, maybe not, but but through the years, I mean, all I get up and just preach the word of God, and I mean, demons start rising up. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't care what you believe. Is it scriptural? Yeah. Is it scriptural? Or are you just looking through crooked glasses or, or rose-colored glasses? I mean, and my job is, is to do one thing, is to bring everybody down to the same level, and that is Christ, him crucified, resurrected, and resurrected, and, and risen from the dead, and all those other things are all secondary. But yet the churches are splitting on secondary doctrines. It's nuts. And people get so frustrated about prophetic things, and, and, and the last thing that Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, 6 and 7, he said, for the times or the seasons are none of your Business. Amen. That's shocking to the church. We've got, we, we've raised billions of dollars on prophetic things. And the last thing he said before he left there, he said, he said, now will you restore your kingdom? Now will you do this? Now can we buy a church bus and start a ministry? And he said, times and seasons are none of your business. Just be filled with the spirit. And when you say things like that, that really disarms everybody. It's kind of like when you get in a fight with your spouse, not that you would. AJ, not that you would. But who has ever faulted it, which is normally yours. But the best thing to do is when you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, that ends the conversation. What? There's no well, there's no bus, there's no... Well, what happens is when you understand that we have been, the responsibility that we've been given is this is to be filled with the Spirit. And that being filled with the Spirit not only is the manifestation of the Spirit of God, but the Word of God, because the Word of God, the Father, Son, and the Word are all one. So one of the ways that I am filled with the Spirit is I got a lot of Word in me, and the Word of God is the Spirit of God, and they all work together. So evangelism, evangelism means the good news. Anybody heard that term called good news? Well, this morning before you leave, it may not be so good to you, but just hang on. Just hang on. I'm here to get your blood pressure riled up. It's okay. The definition of, of evangelicals, basically, basically, if you're if you're in the primary, if you're in the if you're just in the primary stages of Christianity, here is what evangel, 
Evangelicals basically means if you have a belief in Jesus Christ. Okay. Number two, if you basically believe that the scriptures are real. And number three, evangelicals, basically we believe that you have an obligation to communicate and responsibility to communicate the gospel, the good news. Amen. So if, if, if you, and we're going to say we're all kindergartens here, how many believe in Jesus? Amen. When does the boat to Hawaii leave? How many believe in Jesus here? Amen. And, and how, how many believe that the scriptures is, is the fundamental uh, foundation that we rest our faith on? Yeah. And how many believes that we have a responsibility to communicate the gospel some way, somehow? Amen. All right. So I want to warn you, the next few facts may cause your blood to boil. 2019, there was a polling done within churches throughout the nations called the Theological Statement Survey of Religion. They surveyed churches. They didn't survey pimps, prostitutes, and plumbers. They surveyed religions, Baptists, Methodists, Assembly of God, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Vegetarians, whatever. 2019. Evangelicals, three things. Number one, we believe about Jesus. Number two, we believe the scriptures are validated by Jesus. And number three, we have a concept that we believe that somehow we've got to spread the word. So that makes us an evangelical. 65% believes that these evangelicals, evangelicals believe that man is born innocent and he's basically good. It's his environment that corrupts him. Now, you don't have to, you don't have to respond to any of these. I just want you to know, we're not talking about some knucklehead on a street corner that doesn't go to church. We are polled. Only churches, religions in the United States. 65% believe that man is born innocent and it's only because of his environment that contaminates him or corrupts him to do evil. 55% believe that the Bible is not literally true. Now that may shock some of you, but it, doesn't, it did shock me until I got around a group of people that really wasn't in this church and then I really began to listen to them and, 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 and I began to hear what they said. And that kind of shocked me years ago that the Bible is not literally true. 56% believes that God will accept any and all types of religious worship. I told you don't respond. They believe that God will accept any and all types of worship. And number four, 43%, there was about 14, but 43% believe that Jesus was a great prophet and teacher and example, but Jesus was not God. These are evangelicals. The question I want to ask this morning, how did we get here? How did we get to this polling? How did we get here to these convictions and beliefs as evangelicals? So here's the most offensive doctrine in the Bible. Here we go. Here it is. That man is born a sinner. Man needs a savior. And Jesus Christ 
is the only way to the Father. Now, we got a, a rousing amen in this section. They're already asleep, but we got a rousing approval of all that. There, there are only three statements of true evangelicals of disciples of Christ is this. Man is born a sinner, Romans 5 and 12. For the act of one man sinner into the world and all sin was passed to all men. Death was passed to all men because all men have sinned. But because of one righteous, the last Adam, we've been made righteous. We are born into sin. Now, the question is going to come up about children. That's a great conversation. And I'll be glad to have a conversation with you about that. We have no indication or writings in the, in the great, wine throne, great wine throne judgment that there's any children involved. But besides all of that, three things. Man is a sinner. He has a sin nature. Number two, man needs a savior. And number three, Jesus is the only way. Amen. Now in that, that's very offensive. Last week, I spent an hour and 15 minutes, sorry about that, about telling you that when Jesus talked about who he was, three different times they wanted to kill him. Why? The, the, greatest, the, the, the greatest, the most loving, the most kindness, for three and a half years, he banished sickness and disease in Israel. He disrupted funerals. He kept wedding parties going on. Everything about him did nothing but to, was, was benevolent to the community. He, he, he took care of the widows and the orphans. He healed the lepers when they were ostracized. Everything he did for humanity, he did for their betterment. But the religious people, when they heard him speak three different times, they sought to kill him. And at one time he had to hide. All he did was quote scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 says something like this. Therefore, this is dealing with Jesus. It is also contained in the scripture. Behold that I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Elect. He's mine. Precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame or be disappointed. Therefore, to you who believe, say, I do. I do. He is precious. Means one of a kind. It's kind of like the word begotten, monogenesis is a word only one of a kind. In appraisals, the less something is made and when it was made, the more valuable it is. A pre-Civil War revolver is worth 100 times more than a post-Civil War revolver because not many of them was made and it went through something. The word monogenesis means one of a kind. There's only one like him. That's why he's very precious. Amen. But to those who are disobedient. So evidently that within the church, we have two different categories. We have a group of people that are obedient and they love him and he's very precious. He's the elect, the father God. God chosen him before the foundation of the earth. And to him, he's very precious. But evidently we have another section in the church. Those that are disobedient. He now is the stone which the builders rejected and has become the chief cornerstone. A stone of stumbling. A rock of offense. 
These people stumble because they are disobedient to the word. Now we could finish that. We could finish that if you want to, but I don't, I don't want your blood pressure to go up any higher because in the next verse, the next few words says, as they were appointed to. Buckle up, buttercup. They stumbled and they were offensive because they were appointed from the foundation of the earth to stumble at him. Here's the sobering question. Are you stumbling? Are you, are you offended at the word? Are you offended when preachers or, or teachers of the gospel just begin to, 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 to unravel the mysteries of the kingdom, and if something within you becomes a stumble offensive, you, you need to go ahead and read this last part because what scares me to death is that is I never want to be in that category that somehow I feel like that I've been appointed from the foundation of the earth to stumble at the word of God because if we love him, we will not stumble at him. Ooh. And some of you say, well, I'll stumble because of my own free will. You have no idea. what You just took up good oxygen when you said that. So we have two categories. Number one, for the righteous, he's a chief cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone back then was the biggest and the most levelest and the most heaviest, the most weighted and the most flattest stone in the building of a temple or construction. It was the first one that was laid. And you know this. It was the biggest, the, la- the levelest and the flattest. And they would set that first because the other walls would be connected. But the, everything in that, in, in that temple structure or the building structure would be plumbed and leveled off the cornerstone. Are you, are you with me? Are you, are you awake? So, I mean, they just would say, Hey, let's put something together. They wouldn't do that. They would bring in a cornerstone. It was the biggest and the largest, the most flattest, the most plumb. And they would set that thing and they would get it perfectly level and get it embedded in. And then they would build the rest of the building according to that. To the righteous, Jesus is our cornerstone. We plumb our life after him. You've heard me say this a thousand times. A Christian is only, the I-A-N is only the obedient to the prefix. I-A-N means submitted to the, the, the prefix. The suffix is, is obedient to the prefix. So I-A-N means Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, even Americans, it's a misspelling. But I am subject to the laws of the prefix. I am a Christian. I am only obedient to Christ. That's it. I'm not non-denominational. I'm not nothing. I am obedient to the words of Christ. Christ is my cornerstone. Pay attention. Christ is my cornerstone. And everything in my life has to line up and plumb according to the cornerstone. But what happens is is you just can't say, hey, I'm going to build a house. The city said, hey, help yourself. It doesn't work that way. I mean, we got to have plans. We got to have blueprints and it's got meat specs. Let me ask you a question. So what, what happens is you get all this stuff and even though that you have the blueprint for it, the cornerstone of it, I mean, you go, well, I got the blueprints, but I'm still going to build it my way. They're going to shut you down. You've got to build it exactly what the blueprint says. 
You've got to be in submission to the city of Ardmore, whether you like it or not. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't like any of it. Where's the plumb line of the church of 2022? Don't answer that. Where's the plumb line of the evangelicals that we read to you? Where Where are those people? How can 50-something percent believe that the Word of God is not actually true? How many can almost 43% believe that Jesus Christ is not God? I mean, we, we got a church. The churches are bigger than ever before. We got bigger crowds. We, we got more entertainment. We got it all, but it's crooked. Oh, we got a building. We got a structure. We got it all. We got every, we got every plaque and little liver quirky scripture sign hanging in our house. But if we're not careful, we live like hell. We talk like hell. And well, we got, we got little crosses on our bumper stickers and we got, I love Jesus on, our, on the windshield of our car. But this is what I'm telling you to the obedient, those that love God, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And I'm not telling you right now that we're perfect because we're not. I'm not telling you that I'm the example because I'm not. But I'm telling you, I hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do I get it wrong? I do. Do I make mistakes? I do. But I long to please him. I long to, I want him to replumb my life. I want him to relevel my life. I want to be in, in line with his word. But to those that are disobedient, for those whose heart is hardened, Romans chapter 9 that to us, the word of God and Jesus himself is our cornerstone. But for the religious community that you're not aware of, he's not a cornerstone. They don't want to line up their lives to the word of God. They don't want to line up their lives to him, Christ himself. He is a stumbling block. He is a rock of offense. When you mention the name of Jesus in some churches, it offends people. <laughs> Can we just have church and not talk about it? No. Can we just have great music and skip the, skip the preaching? Well, they do, but no. No. Well, I don't know anything about this Jesus, and, and, it, and, and, and it kind of fins me when he talks about that I've got to change my ways. And, here, and here's, here's my answer. I understand. I understand. I understand why you rebel. I understand why you continue to gossip. I understand why you continue to hate and spread lies. And I understand. Because you're stumbling over the cornerstone. And instead of being a place of leveling and stability and attachment and aligning my house and this church house and our work business to the plumb line of Christ, the cornerstone, which is an immovable rock, now then... I stumble over him. And it's offensive to me. Some of you work in an environment that people are, they're not really appreciative of your biblical information. They're not appreciative that when they, and, and, and you know, there's ways to go about it. Ken and I yesterday went to a little restaurant early. I made her buy me breakfast and we went to a restaurant and, and, and we and a couple of guys were the only ones in the restaurant. Really? And they were, they were way over the ears. They're not near as old as Dvorak, Danny, but they are way on the ears and, you know, they get hard of hearing. They're loud. You know, they're loud. They're old, feel a bit loud and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 you know, and it was that word and that word. And so I turned around and gave them the stink eye, you know. 
I'm not above hitting you on top of the head. I'm not. But, but, but I gave him the stink eye, and that one guy kind of looked at me, and you know, I kind of looked at him, and so I told the waiter, I said, "Hey, we're going to move." What happens is not everybody is is courteous of your godlike character. And so you can either walk over and hit on top of the head or, you know, we can, you know, we, we can be cordial about it and understand certain things. And I didn't go shove a Bible down their throat and I didn't say you're going to hell. So I didn't say that, but we understand. But, but in my life, when I hear anything that is in cursing or swearing or a foul joke, I'm telling you right now, that is not in line with the cornerstone. And, and if, you, if you still cuss, quit it. It's more stupid than it is sinful. It's called one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control. You're, you don't have control of your, your faculties. So the idea is that Peter's telling the church that we have two categories here. Number one, for those that believe and love Jesus, he is the cornerstone that we plumb our life. And for those that are not he is an offense. They stumble over him. So the idea this morning that if we preach, how can it be so offensive? Well, here you go. If I preach to you this morning that about getting to the Father, And two weeks ago, we, we gave you some information about big ministers that believe that Jesus is not the only way, and that would shock you. Google it up. It'll shock you. But if I say to you, you know what? We're all in this together. We're all part of God's cosmic universe. We'll all find our own paths. That's not offensive. That's not offensive. But when I look down the gun barrel and tell you, I'm going to tell you right now. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Amen. That becomes offensive. Amen. Now, who does that become offensive to? The disobedient. And if I sit up and tell you, you know, we're all here together. How many knows, here, here, how, how many knows at least one Bible verse? Please raise your hand. I'm not even looking at you. Thank you. And I would say to you, you know what? The, the Bible's full of good information. It's got all the prophets and the minor prophets and all that. I mean, I mean, I mean, just, just find you one and memorize it and take what parts you want. And, and, and if you like some of it about wives being obedient to your husband, take it. If you don't, well, don't even pay attention to that. That's not offensive. What becomes offensive when I will tell you that you've got to live by every jot and every tittle and everything that comes out of the mouth of God, you've got to live by everything that comes out of Scripture, whether you like it or not. And somebody said, well, what about Old Testament? Oh, don't. Where did unicorns go? Well, they're really rhinoceroses. But anyway, don't get off in that conversation. I, can't, I don't have the right to pick and choose. And I'll tell you what's not offensive is some of the isms that are saying that man is deity. Nero made the same mistake. The Roman Empire made the same mistake. Man is not divine. That's right. 
man does not have the right to absolve sins. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus the Christ. And when you say that, that will offend people. Now you understand where I'm coming from. Now to you, it may not because you are obedient. Chuck, you're obedient. But for people in religion that has their own thought process and, and their own mindset, when you say that it's Jesus or nothing, it becomes offensive. It's the word of God that it's inerrant. It doesn't make mistakes. That becomes offensive. So what's the most offensive doctrine in the scripture? We said it. That man is a sinner. Man, we need a savior. And Jesus Christ is the only way. And this is my answer to you. It's found in Romans chapter three, verse four. In dealing with these other religions, he says, let every man be a liar. But let God be truth. Anytime a denomination or religion, whether it be non-denomination or nothing, comes in opposition against what the divine word says, they're liars. And as I told you last week about Jesus talking about the Jews in John 8, not only is your father the father of lives, but he's a murderer and he was a murderer from the very beginning and that's why you're wanting to murder me right now. Because you're just like your father. So I don't think God is trying to impose anything that you have to carry around Greek concordances and Hebrew lexicons and all that stuff. I don't, that's not what I'm asking you to do. But I'm asking you to come to this, where is the church right now? Where is the church right now? That we've just opened up the doors and we say, just come on in and, and, and the field of dreams, Kevin Costner, well, if we build it, they'll come. That's the problem. Kind of looks like a camel, you know, church committee put a camel together. And so we have to make, we have to make, it has to be intentious here, ladies and gentlemen, because church doctrine, every one of you come from a different background. Every one of you come with baggage. Everyone come, you come with stuff. And I understand, I understand beliefs and convictions. I understand that. But will it take, will it, will it, will it can it take the test of, of the scrutiny of the scriptures? Not, not to offend you. Lord knows I would never offend you. Somebody got offended one time because I said about being slain in the spirit. I was raised in that. But here's the answer. What I told you a while ago. The fruit of the spirit, self-control. They teach in the sins of God and Pentecost, all be slain in the spirit and you become in a transcendental meditation of, 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 of meditation that you lose control of your mind. The fruit of the Spirit says self-control. Yes. Get a grip on yourself. Yeah. Understand that we, we have been called with the with greatest commission, the known to mankind, is to preach the gospel, the good news, but we've got to get it right. And it's got to be plumb, and it's got to be level, and, and it's got to be correct. And, and if you go against people that don't believe that, they're going to be offended at you. Trust me. So, about 15 years ago, I was at the walk to Emmaus. 
And I told some of you this, and, and they may have said, you know, they call it ecumenical, and I, I have other words for it, but it's okay. It's okay. But it, ecumenical means it's a gathering of a, of a mixed crowd. And I've always said it, as long as they, they leave me alone and kind of, I, I kept everything. I was like Nehemiah. I, 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 the Bible says Nehemiah posted himself at the entrance of the gate to make sure that goofballs didn't come in. That's what it says. That's what he did after he rebuilt the temple. And I kind of felt like for a while that if, if they left me alone, that we were doing a pretty good job keeping the riffraff out. Then, and then the spirit of stupidity and dumbness and blasphemy and all that junk happened. We want to legalize the sin of this world. So one of these guys asked me, do questions and answers. It was on a Saturday afternoon. This is what he said to me. He said, what's one of your favorite verses? And I know he was looking for me to tell him something about Habakkuk or Zephaniah, you know, some big theological and I said, my favorite verses. I said, one of my favorite verses. He said, yeah, we want to know. And at that time in, in the walk to Emmaus, they were really primed to receive anything. I could have just said, boo, and they go, yeah, that's it, brother. <laughs> and so here it was. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Now, by now, they're looking at one another. They didn't say Bible verses. They just said verses. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And, you know, they're all dying laughing. This story, this poem that we learned as a child, that we've always thought that the moral of this story was why did Humpty fall and whose fault was it that he did fall? So here's some answers to that. The reason why he fell was it was good old mom and dad's fault. It was genetics. Because they were responsible for the odd oblique body shape of Humpty. He had a round bottom. It was mom and dad's fault. That's why he fell. Or it could have been the bricklayer's fault. Faulty construction. Maybe the ledge that Humpty sat on wasn't perfectly level or flat. Yeah, that's why he fell. So it's either mother and dad's fault or it was the bricklayer's fault or it could have been the meteorologist's fault. See that guy, because he lived in Oklahoma, he forgot to forecast a moderate breezes that was blowing today and he should have said on the weather, do not be climbing walls today is what he should have said. So that's who we're going to blame. Yeah. So we're either going to blame good old mom and dad because I was born this way. Could have been the bricklayer's fault because he didn't get it perfectly level. I was born on the wrong side of the track, wrong color of skin, got the wrong job. You know how that goes. Or it could have been the government's fault. If they had only posted a sign on the wall that read, stay off this 100-foot wall, you may fall. If they would have just posted that, I'd have been good. If somebody would just told you in life, hey, listen, you better not do that because if you do that, but they didn't, so that's the reason why that you're in the condition. But last but not least, it's probably Pastor Jody's fault. <laughs> and that's usually where it ends up. 
because Humpty heard of his anti-cat campaign speech and good old Humpty was just trying to simply stay away clear from cats. So our world, our church world is in a mess. So this type of reasoning is why we put instructions on a shampoo bottle. Humpty fell because it was his mother and dad's fault. Humpty fell because it was the bricklayer's fault. Humpty fell because it was the weatherman's fault. Humpty fell it was because the government failed to do what they were supposed to do. And of course, Humpty fell because the leader of the church, I'm not sure what he did wrong, but we're going to blame him anyway. The real emphasis I told these gentlemen here It's not that Humpty fell. The moral of this story is that no one could put him back together. That's what this story is all about. We've all fallen. We've all been broken. And we've all experienced the pain of being in pieces. And if we're not careful, we're gonna spend our entire energy blaming others for our condition. You may be sitting here this morning and you may say, Pastor, you have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea that that what I've suffered growing up as a child. My mother and father abandoned me. My wife, my husband left me. I've been abused. I've been misused. My whole life, I feel like I've been raised in a paper sack next to the garbage container waiting for someone to throw me in there. And if I would just had better parents, if I'd had a better sibling, if I was raised in, in, on the other side of the tracks, but you wasn't. Your whole life you blame someone because you've fallen and you're in pieces. And here's the good news that every person in every place that you've ever come in contact with, they've never had the ability to put you back together. The good news today for us, it's the great news that we proclaim, is that Jesus Christ is the only one who can put our lives back together. Again, that's my favorite verse. And 40-something men went from giggling to bawling their eyes out. Because I was dealing with men that were in pieces. I was dealing with men that were broken. And I was dealing with men that spent their whole life blaming somebody else for their position and condition. The church cannot put you back together again. A raise on your social security won't really help you. Warm handshakes and kind words cannot put a broken life back together. It's really offensive to the world, but it is only the doctrine of our cornerstone here at this church that only Jesus can put our life back together again.
And some of you need to figure that out this morning. Some of you are broken. Some of you are in pieces. Some of you are lost. Your marriage is torn in two. Your home is divided. And it will continue to be in pieces and divided and broken until you come to this resolve. That Christ, you're my cornerstone. And I want my home and my marriage to survive. I refuse to put a gun to my head and pull the trigger. I refuse to stick a needle of narcotics in the veins of my arms because I don't know how to put my life together. And you are correct. There's only one that can. Father, this morning to a world that has got a degree in psychology and counseling and intelligence and slangs and slogans and everything in the religious community, but all these things combined cannot do what Humpty needed the most. Can anybody put my life back together? They can't. Can anybody feel this hunger in my heart? They can't. Is there anything on earth that can give some type of peace and sanity to my mind that seems to be torn in two? The answer is no. It's only Christ, our cornerstone. And upon Him, that we will not only build our lives and build my marriage and build this church, but I will build a generation of, of biblical principles that those behind me will connect their lives to the chief cornerstone whose foundation and, and settings are sure. If you're here this morning and you understand about being broken, if you're here this morning and your life is in pieces, if you're here this morning and you had it all going good and everything was great, but for some reason you fell off this wall, you can spend the rest of your life blaming people. You can do that. You can spend the rest of your life playing the blame game, but here's the bottom line. That's gonna do nothing to put you back together. Come back to Christ. Come back to your first love. Come back to the one that only loves you. Come back to the cornerstone this morning, can we? And say, Lord, I want you to be the cornerstone of my life, my conversation, my thoughts, my marriage. And I will plumb and I will level my life according to the words of Christ. And for some, that's very offensive. But to me, <laughs> it's the only life I know. So Father, this morning, would you just heal our bodies? Would you heal our minds? This morning, for those that came here offended, there's some that were fighting in the parking lot. There were some fighting before they left the doors of their home coming here. We only have one answer. 
one alone. It's Christ Jesus, the cornerstone of our life. Would you begin to heal us this morning that we will deliver the good news that Christ is our King today. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, amen. amen. Turn about two people and say, you kind of remind me of old Humpty Dumpty anyway. Stand if you would, if you would. Huh? Stand to give the Lord a praise offering this morning, huh? Yes. Aren't you glad for Jesus? Aren't you glad for Christ? Boy, I am. Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the commitment of the Word of God in our life. That we will be established and set on the foundations as God's elect. You know who are yours. And this morning, I pray that the Word of the Spirit of God has convicted hearts and lives that we may no longer be offensive and stumble over the words of Christ our King that we'll line up to Him. Communion servers, if you'll please make your way this morning. What I love about communion, there's lots of things that I love about communion, a lot. But it's really the, the last lesson that He gave us Communion is a Greek word called koinonia, something in common, a coin, something that has worth, something that has value. I've known people that got offended because we celebrate Holy Communion every week. Can you imagine that? Let's just let that set in. Jesus said himself that as often as you take the cup and the bread, it remember me. It will remind you of me. And people get offended because we celebrate Holy Communion. Oh my goodness. I need to take it every day. I don't know about you, but I, I deal with a zoo in my brain. I need to take it every day. I need to be more like him. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. I need to be a better pastor. I need to make sure that I am lining myself up to the cornerstone of truth, which is Christ. So he took the cup and he took the bread and he, he said, this bread is my body that will be broken for you. Your broken dreams, your broken hearts, your broken lives, your broken marriages, your broken minds. He said, I became broken that you could be whole. Remember, he said, I'll leave you in peace, not in pieces. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is symbolic for my blood that will be shed for you. My Father will take my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And as often as you take the cup and as often as you partake of the bread, it will remind you of me. 
So Father, every one of us, from the youngest to the eldest, as we celebrate Holy Communion, we're not just calling cattle here. We believe these two sacraments still house a great anointing that we are identifying with the body of Christ. We're identifying to the blood of Christ. And as we incorporate it into our earthly body, that something wonderful will begin to happen. For those that are going to come in pieces, they're going to bring sacks and boxes of broken hearts and broken lives and shattered dreams. Let them come this morning. Put them back together for your service in Christ's name. Amen.